Here's a question. How does an ordinary person land their dream job in the sports industry immediately after graduating? Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ruben Williams. And I'm Ryan Walker. In 2017, we said goodbye to exams and hello to full-time work. This is a behind-the-scenes reveal of exactly how the best sports industry professionals in the world created careers that most only dream of. We believe every dream job in sport is worth chasing, and that's why we want to give you the tools to make it a reality. For a proven process to getting jobs in sport, download our free ebook. How to Get Jumps in Sport, The Sports Grad Method. You can get this for free at www.sportsgrad.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Sports Grad Podcast. I'm Ryan Walker and with me as always is the sprightly Ruben Williams. How are you today, mate? I'm very well. Thank you, Ryan. Feeling sprightly this Super Bowl Monday morning. I can tell you are also gleaming through the camera today because... You are a massive Buccaneers fan, and so I know you're going to be all over the Super Bowl today. Absolutely. Uh, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, at 43 years of age, is going to have a crack at winning the Super Bowl today. So it's a it's a huge, huge moment in NFL history. 43 years old, that's pretty good to be in a Super Bowl. So mm. um, a very exciting day. What do you usually do for Super Bowl Monday, mate? Super Bowl Monday. <laughs> I'm usually at work. Usually just got Fox Sports on the oh, TV watching watching. You, watch you from work work. on Mondays. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise that was a thing. Um Yeah, no, it's uh no, it's a massive event and uh you know, massive event for a massive guest who we have on today. Um mm. Aubrey Walton, who who is the director of event location strategy and planning at the NFL and if anybody knows sort of much about uh, the National Football League is how, um, you know, how big that decision is of, of where they're going to host the Super Bowl each year. It's not like other leagues in the world where a grand final might be played at a home ground. It's uh, it's obviously p- pretty planned in advance. So it was a, a super interesting interview for us. Um, you know, I think, first of all, her, her role and just that process of how they chose the Super Bowl and, and, you know, pre-planning something five years out is such a complicated thing and, and just what goes into that, it was was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think we like we've talked to a lot of cool jobs. I don't think there's too many cooler than being in charge of the um, the decision to pick the location of, of the Super Bowl, which is um, going on today. The other thing I loved about Aubrey as well and her journey was that when she jumped, made the jump from LA over to New York to work at the NFL, it took her 11 interviews over the course of, of three months, which I just think is absolutely ridiculous. But um, yeah, they really put them through the the um, the ringer over in the US to make sure they get the right person, but um, they got their person. So, extraordinary to hear about that process. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I really enjoyed was sort of how she obviously developed as a leader over that time to get where she is today. So, she kind of obviously chatted through how, how that sort of happened and, and what she worked on over that time. So, anyway, grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Aubrey Walton. Aubrey, welcome to the Sports Grade podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Aubrey, it's awesome to, to have you on. From what we know about you, you come from a tiny little town in Ohio called Sycamore, which I believe is famous for plenty of cornfields. There's just 900 people there, and now you're you're not only working at the NFL, but you also lead the committee of people that choose the location of the Super Bowl every single year. We've heard plenty of, of cool jobs on the podcast before, but I reckon this is right at the top of the pile. We're, we're definitely keen to delve into that a little later on, but... To start with, what were probably three key milestones or events that, that led you from the, the cornfields of Sycamore to where you are now? <laughs> yes, I am definitely from the cornfields of Ohio. Um, like you said, about 900 people in my town, one flashing stoplight, everybody knows each other, et cetera, et cetera. So when I was 18 years old, I always had a dream to go bigger and better and always had a dream to move to Los Angeles. So I went from 900 people to quite a few million people in terms of knowing how to 
live my life every day. <laughs> um, and I would say just having that dream and taking that chance on myself completely changed my life and obviously led me to where I'm at today at the NFL. What I would say is my experience in Los Angeles. I lived there for eight years and worked for the Los Angeles Sports and Entertainment Commission. And what that group does is brings major sports and entertainment events to the city of LA to help increase the economic impact to that city. So when a big event comes to a city like LA, like any major city in the US or even globally, that city gets gets money from that event in terms of being able to then use that money to rebuild roads, build new hotels, whatever that be. And so having that experience for six years at the Sports Commission got me that experience in how to work for a Sports Commission, which now looking back, my job at the NFL is to work with all the Sports Commissions in in the major cities. So now instead of having a city to sell on the Sports Commission side, my job at the NFL is where I have the product. So in this case, the Super Bowl, the NFL Draft the Pro Bowl, etc. And I'm the one selling the product to these cities and vice versa. So coming from the cornfields of Ohio to eight years in LA to a stint internationally where I traveled and did events in Europe and Asia, and then straight into the NFL by moving to New York City, I've gone from Ohio to LA to New York and just kind of kept playing upon that dream of mine of wanting to go bigger and better. And now here I am choosing what cities the Super Bowls, drafts and Pro Bowls get to go to. So it's a pretty cool job. I must say, and I'm not a bandwagon jumper, but I am a Buccaneers fan. And (laughs) as you can probably tell, Aubrey, I mean, what a time to be a Buccaneers fan with with the GOAT coming in, Tom Brady uh, and... (laughs) led the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. So I should be really thanking you for having the uh, the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay this year. But um, <laughs> there would be plenty of people putting up their hand to probably choose the location of the Super Bowl. Um, I, for one, will probably have it in Tampa every year. But what's that process like? Sort of how far out do you know? What's the whole process like in choosing the location of the greatest show on earth? Yes, absolutely. And... Like you, also a Brady fan. So go number 12. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what goes into choosing a city, um, it varies, but there's there are criteria that we look at. So it, it kind of plays upon a small to large scale in terms of what that criteria is weighted at. But I would say it goes into things like what's the weather like? in that location within the country at that time of year? What are some of the goals of the city and the host club within that city? So if they were to host, how does that then affect the club and their goals? And then how does that affect the larger league as a whole? Also looking at what some of the the politics are in that city, not in terms of um, Republican or Democrat, but in terms of what are their Union labor rates, do they have unions? If they do, how does that play into our budgets? Um, and kind of the weight of all that. What does the renovation look like on the current stadium in that city? Um, I mean, there's there's a plethora of things that we look at. And then in terms of um, what the actual process is in choosing a city is once we go through all that criteria, we then look at all the cities that are interested in hosting and are available in hosting for that certain year. And then look at the larger puzzle of, okay, in two years, we have the Super Bowl in this location and three years, this location and four years, this location, et cetera. And then same with the draft locations, same with Pro Bowl locations, kickoff combine. And it's, it becomes this giant puzzle in terms of how many places can we get to in different parts of the country in a short amount of time. So it really is a puzzle where you're just placing cities, different locations 
for the cities that hit those certain criteria. And then ultimately, if they submit um, a really good bid based on the specs that we send them and are able to fundraise the amount of money that we require for that event, then they, then the ownership gets to vote on approving that city in being the host for that given year. So it's, it becomes a pretty in-depth process to where for Super Bowl, we're planning five years out. For draft, we're about three years out, about to get to four years. And uh, with Pro Bowl, we're about two years out. So it just depends on the scale of the event and how big of a city takeover that it is. Aubrey, I've been to the US a couple of times and have even had the pleasure of marching in a US college uh, marching band, big parade thing. And uh, anyone who's been there will know that the US does everything bigger and more brash than it ever probably ever needs to be. So when it comes to the idea of pitching to host the Super Bowl, I can imagine what the uh, the host cities come up with in that room would be quite extraordinary. Yes, the the, the competition amongst the cities is fun to watch. Um, they're used to it because they they compete against each other for any sporting event, NCAA to obviously the Super Bowl and the draft to any major league. Um, event to even college and youth events. So it's fun to see kind of what they pull out of their pockets in terms of what um, what would set their city apart from the others, whether that's financial, experiential, um, whether they are able to get certain trade values based on their relationships that they have with their own city, mayor's offices, government, entities, venues, fill in the blank. So yeah, I I can't exactly say what some of those are, but yes, the competition is very fierce. What what would be some of the more creative things that people have come up with in those in those pitches? Oh, let's see. Um I think the the most fun one and the one that kind of made us think outside the box was the Nashville draft. And Nashville Draft, they have, they're known as Music City. So they, they were able to integrate music, which sounds simple, but it's something the NFL has really never done into our events because it's, it's so sports focused. But because of what Nashville represents and the possibility of future artists becoming A-list artists in that city, we decided to integrate an entire musical component into the 2019 draft. And because of their idea and also their relationships with A-list artists, it was, it was a no brainer to include, we had Tim McGraw, Dirks Bentley, and then we had um, a few other local artists where we gave them the opportunity to shine on another stage and kind of get their name recognition out there. So the fact that we were able to have this idea presented by a city, which again, seems so simple, but be able to integrate that into the draft, it just, it further excelled the on-site experience and also all the goals of the event that we could have only ever dreamed of. Aubrey, what, what sort of, uh, I've always wondered this because of the size of the Super Bowl, but what sort of return does a host city see on their investment to, to have the Super Bowl in, in their city? Huge investment. <laughs> so just as an example, these are not real numbers. Say a city um, that hosts the Super Bowl raises $30 million. Due to the fact that so many people come to Super Bowl, these people are spending money in hotels, they're spending money at restaurants, they're spending money in transportation, whether that's taxis or ride-sharing vehicles. Um, they're shopping in, in stores. All this money then, because it's, it's not local people, it's people from out of state or people that um, are from a certain driving distance, that money gets estimated at a certain number. So say if a city's raising 30 million, 
the NFL comes in and does this event and the return of that event is anywhere from, again, making these numbers up, say 400 to 500 million US dollars for Super Bowl. And again, back to my original comment, that money can be used to rebuild hotels, fix roads, kind of whatever the city determines how to use that money. Um, and for draft, draft is growing at an incredible rate. And the estimated return on that event is upwards of 250 million. So it's chasing the Super Bowl numbers, but the return of that investment by a city is astronomical when it comes to the amount of money that they're putting in plus what the NFL spends. Do you, do you feel for Tampa Bay this year, given, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the crowd number is going to be, but it's kind of the most unfortunate season to ever have been awarded the Super Bowl, um, given, you know, th- there's not going to be many people coming and, and whatnot. I'm sure there's no compensation at all for that. But, yeah, it's obviously going to be a tough one for them, or a tough pill to swallow for, for them. Yes, it is. It's a tough pill for all of us. <laughs> Um, for the city, I would say they're one of the best host committees we've ever worked with. And so the fact that we've been been planning this event for the past three to four years is just crazy that now this global pandemic, which nobody ever had any inkling on, let alone that it would last this long, it's unfortunate that it is putting a damper on all of our plans that, like I said, we've spent the last three to four years planning for. But the positive is that they, the host committee has the best attitude about it. And we've been able to put our heads together and really work through different opportunities to where we could still make Tampa shine amongst a pandemic. So some examples of that are um, our healthcare worker program that we are currently planning for. Where 7,500 healthcare workers in the Tampa region are able to come to Super Bowl free of charge. So it's a way for the NFL to give back and a way for us to shine light on these amazing individuals that deserve the world right now for what they've, they've been having to go through and struggle with every single day. So it's a, it's a global pandemic Super Bowl, but we have the best host committee right at the start of that. I'm sure the the pirate ship at the end of the field will be going off nonetheless. So, <laughs> <laughs> Love that pirate ship. Aubrey, in terms of the lead up to the Super Bowl itself, what does the, the last month before the Super Bowl typically look like for you and, and how has that differed this year given everything that's going on? Yeah. Um, so to start, some of the team starts leaving right after the new year hits. So this year they left on January 4th and the fir- that's the first group of people to get down there. They set everything up. They kind of get everything in order and in prep for the next couple waves of people that start to make their way down there. So anywhere from January 4th to probably like this coming weekend is different waves of people going down. Most of the people that are on site at the beginning are operational staff. So the people that are actually setting everything up, doing kind of all the architectural side of things, working with labor unions, getting credentials set up, you name it, it's getting done. All, all of our signage um, amongst the city and the stadium, etc. And it just kind of, it, it builds. So anywhere from January 4th to this coming weekend, everybody's kind of building and getting final touches on everything. And then in terms of Tampa, tomorrow, Friday, um, is actually when Super Bowl, quote, opens. So that's when we start our Super Bowl experience event, which is our fan fest. And then that goes through the Saturday right before the game. And then all of our other Super Bowl events start on Monday of this coming week. And then go through, obviously, game day. So it, it depends on what your job function is, but we're all constantly getting all the operational side of things done and then making sure that all relationships are accounted for and ready. 
Um, all contracts are done, signage is up. Like I said, credentials are given out. I mean, there's a million details that go into this, but so far we are on track and ready to go. For uh, for the actual game day, uh, what will you be doing on the day? Will you get to maybe sit back and, and, and have a drink or will you be in real operation mode on the ground or anything like that? We don't get to have a drink till about midnight or later, sometimes 2 a.m. post the game. <laughs> um, we're at the stadium starting, some people I should say, not myself. Um, our credential team starts at the stadium starting at 3 a.m. on game day. So they're getting all the staff checked Whoa. in, getting credentials handed out. Yeah, super early. God bless that team. I don't think they'll be wanting to have a drink at probably 2 a.m. I think that they might. <laughs> They Those other people head off that really bed. need it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they start at 3 a.m. And then, again, it's kind of a wave of people based on what your job function is that day. But usually everybody's in the stadium ready to go about four hours prior to kickoff. And my specific job is to I, – I help manage all the on-field VIPs. So it's working with our operational staff to make sure that we have the right directions for people to go from when they enter the stadium doors to what tunnel they then enter, making sure security is aware of that, and then showing them where to go once they're on the field. Um, that's that's mostly what I do pregame is uh, kind of watch all those VIPs and manage them. And then same thing postgame. So making sure that once the teams are off the field and the winner's presentation and trophy is given to them and they're done celebrating, we're then able to get about a thousand people, um, whether that's VIPs, sponsors, um, VIP ticket package buyers, those people get to go on the field and take photos and just kind of take that experience all in of being on the field of the Super Bowl. So that's what I will be doing. Aubrey, how much, the, how much is the price of a ticket to get onto the ground of the Super Bowl after the game? Yes, the golden ticket everybody wants. <laughs> um, it depends because you can only buy those tickets through ticket packages. And those, again, it varies year by year, but those ticket packages are anywhere from 12000 US dollars to upwards of 25000 so it's just crazy the amount of money that people spend just to have this experience. It's pretty cool, though. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of money. It's ridiculous. Grand to get on the AFL grand final field. Yeah, no, that'd be ridiculous. I remember when I got my first paycheck at, at Cricket Australia, I um, made an impulse purchase immediately to buy a, a package of tickets for the World Cup in Russia. So then I'm forking out about four and a half US dollars in in World Cup tickets, but that was for that was across like five or six different matches, including a few finals. But I can't imagine spending, you know, three times that amount for for one match. But um, maybe one day, Ryan, if this podcast goes well, you never know. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> we might even see Tom Brady at at a ripe age of fifty uh, lift lift one as well. So there I'm confident. Go. Now you have an NFL in as well. Yeah, exactly right. We'll, we'll be dropping your name <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, Aubrey, we just want to uh, shift gears a little now um, and focus a little bit on you know your experience and how you've kind of grown over time. You know, typically when teams go to the draft and they're looking to select you know younger players to come through and be part of that team for the next decade or so, they usually talk to them to get an understanding of what sort of individual they are and one of the things that they look for to determine. Uh, their quality and their potential to be a great player is their leadership ability. And for us working in the industry, it's exactly the same. Organizations are, are looking for people who can be leaders and those, you know, future captains, so to speak. You started out as an in an internship and at a coordinator level in a variety of different positions, and now you sit at a director level. My question is, how have you evolved as a leader during your career? Yes, great question. I would say starting as an intern, I was scared out of my mind because I had no idea what I was doing. 
I didn't really have any network of people. Again, I was from this cornfield town in Ohio, which is great, by the way, but doesn't really have a ton of opportunities here. So I was kind of thrown into kind of just figuring it all out by myself and making my own path. So in that experience, I would say that the ability to have, number one, confidence in yourself, knowing that you can do a certain job that you're given, also being able to create relationships with people and nurture those relationships. I think that is one of the most key things that anyone can do for themselves because you just never know who you're going to meet that's going to get you your next opportunity. And I think also people having the faith in me to get a job done and be able to trust me in a certain situation or on a certain project, again, fill in the blank. So I think as an intern, I kind of learned all that and still learning that, by the way, even in my current role. But as you get more confident and start to develop different skills, be able to create different relationships with people, um, be placed in different challenging situations and learning from those, you begin to to grow. Obviously, I'm not I'm not uh, saying anything people don't know, but you start to grow in a way to where you're ready for that next title. You're ready for that next position. And so as long as you have the want, the motivation, the inspiration to go after what exactly you do want, you can get it. And it's just having having that faith in yourself to be able to go from title to title, job to job, awesome opportunity to next awesome opportunity. So kind of placing all that on one hand and has gotten me to where I'm at today um, at the level I'm at. So again, everyone's constantly growing every single day and it's the amount of work that you put into it that helps you get there. Aubrey, for a lot of, for a lot of students, they're starting out in sports, in sports uh, uh, courses and not really having too much of an idea of what it is that they want, what they want to work towards. Did that ever happen for you or how did you figure out that events and, you know, choosing the location of the Super Bowl was exactly what you wanted to do? I actually never knew it was something I wanted to do <laughs> until I fell into it. I would say anyone that tells you they totally know what they want to do is not always speaking the truth, I would say. Um Again, it kind of goes to the fake it till you make it saying. And I feel like you are placed in certain situations that are right for you at those moments in your life. And those different experiences at these different jobs, or maybe it's a volunteer event that you're doing or an internship or just hanging out with a new group of friends. You just never know who's going to take that chance on you. And the fact that people are willing to do that just kind of leads to other paths that maybe you haven't ever thought of for yourself and opens up other doors for you in terms of, okay, maybe I should try this job that is interested in me. Maybe I should send a message on LinkedIn and um, meet somebody at a company that I'm interested in. And it's kind of just putting yourself out there and, and again, going after what you want. And then ultimately, you're going to find the path that's right for you. And that's going to continue throughout your whole life in every aspect, not just professionally. Was there a moment sort of early on in your career or or recently or whatever that really sort of led you in one particular direction? I would say my first internship in Los Angeles is where I kind of had that aha moment like, yes, this is exactly what I want to be doing. Um, that internship was at the time was with two NBA players and a person in the entertainment uh, production world. And my job with those three was to help produce certain events and PR related, uh, PR related stories and activities for their foundations. And so through that experience, I got the sports side of it and then the make you feel good side by putting on 
events raising money for foundations that benefit great charities. And so I kind of knew from that moment that I wanted to be in sports and number two, that I really liked doing events. And so that, that internship led me to the Los Angeles Sports and Entertainment Commission, where I then managed and produced um, a bunch of sports and entertainment events. Sports side was um, anything from the NBA All-Star Games to X Games to various special events with all the pro teams, um, football games at the Rose Bowl, etc. Then the entertainment side was um, having involvement in all the award shows. So having that experience even further solidified me. Um, again, at that age, I was age 22 to 28, I think. And I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. Now that I've done this on the West Coast, why not try the East Coast? And that's how I landed at the NFL doing what I do now on the events team. Aubrey, um, I'm wondering if you'd be able to compare some of the teams that you've led in the past and, and particularly the way that, that you lead them and uh, you know what you know now about leading people and leadership um, compared to perhaps what you knew early on and how that's changed in yourself. Yes, I would say that it changes often based on who you're leading and personalities of those people. I would say at the beginning of my career, I was like, yeah, let's be friends with everyone. Let's hang out. Let's go to happy hour. And like almost didn't have that boss employee relationship. And now that I've kind of grown into into various leadership roles, Obviously, you still have that type of relationship where, yeah, you're friends, you talk a lot, you you plan things day in, day out together. But I think it's also being able to create a balance there to where, okay, this is a job, this is a business, this is professional. I can't always be your best friend. I have to be your boss. We have to have hard conversations. We have to talk about some of the challenges that you have, also the progress that you've made. So again, it's balance, but it's also, again, it goes back to um, confidence, how confident you are in being a leader, and then also knowing when to follow. I think that also speaks as a leader to where you're able to put other people in front of you and take their direction based on the knowledge that they have. And I would also say some people think that leaders always have to be older than you. And I, I don't believe in that. Um, one of my mentors is a 26-year-old that, again, I have roughly 10 more years of experience, but the experience that this 26-year-old has been through is experience that I've never been through. So getting opinions of different people that have been in different situations, had different experiences, like I said, worked at other companies, you just... You never know who who you're going to take as a mentor, or who you're gonna who's going to look up to you as a mentor, and who you're going to look up to as a mentor. But then, who are your mentees and employees that you lead are going to look up to? Aubrey, when you've been in positions where you've had a manager and you don't have to manage anyone else, and then you're transitioning into positions where you then become the manager, how do you convince the person who's picking the role that? even though you've never had any management experience, that that you can be a good manager? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, This happens a lot at the NFL, um, which I think is great because it's kind of hard to figure out that transition between just kind of having to worry about yourself and getting your own projects done and then, okay, here's this other person or multiple people that you are responsible for and their work dictates kind of your progress and your um, promotional status. I think it it all comes down to the comfortability that you have with your manager and your ability to vocalize exactly what you want. Because if you don't vocalize what you want, you're not going to get it. And if you do get it, either your boss can read your mind or everything fell into place how you wanted them to. But I, I'm a really big proponent of 
vocalizing exactly what you want and why you deserve it and why you can handle it. And then hopefully your boss sees that in you based on your work ethic and your ability to create relationships with other people um, and puts you in a position like that. So it's open conversation with your management. It's a good, good point you make there around, you know, that it's, it's, a lot of people probably experience that in, you know, not knowing how to approach, you know, heading to that next level and always having to think of yourself. You know, I think it's part of a lot of people's development and like getting to that stage where you no longer just think of yourself, but you think of another person, which is a scary thought. Um, but one that, you know, people have to go through and it's always a tough conversation. So good luck to everyone having those. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next question is kind of similar to, to that. Um, one of the, one of the great things that we, sort of have around the the sports grab podcast and what we learn is is the huge selection process um that you know our guests go through for some of these incredible jobs that they have and the u.s seems to do it um you know just that little bit more rigorously than, than anybody else to get your role i believe you had 11 interviews over the course of three months flying between la and new york which is absolutely insane um 11 interviews over three months is is crazy. But how how did you prepare for, for each one of those interviews, 11 in total? It's absolutely insane. <laughs> um, yes, the whole process took about three months. And I, yes, I flew from LA to New York uh, for majority of those. And what I, what I will also say, in addition to the 11 interviews, I was asked to, I was given a question and I had to create a presentation to where I then had to present that in one of my interview rounds to four vice presidents at the NFL. And they were able to stop me, interrupt me within my presentation. And I would have to obviously answer the question and then remember where I was in the presentation once we were done answering the question. So. What ended up happening was, yes, 11 interviews within three months. And the very last interview, I met with um, two of the number one people um, at the time of the hospitality company that I was managing, and then also within the events department. And I mean, when, when you're interviewing at the country's number one sports league, everybody is incredibly challenging in their interview process because um, you're interviewing with the best of the best and you kind of have to work through that. Again, it goes back to confidence, work through that confidence level and knowing your ability to vocalize what you're good at and sell yourself. And a lot of, that's where a lot of people struggle. Um, I even struggle with that today. And this is my fourth fourth company I've worked for. And it gets easier. I will say that for those college students that are that are in this position. It does get easier the more times you do it. But yeah, the interview process for this job was absolutely insane. And I'm I'm glad that I'm the one that ended up at the end of it. <laughs> Aubrey, how did the uh the eleven interviews vary in terms of the people you talk to their roles and I guess the the questions that they asked you too was it was there any overlap or did every single one have a specific purpose? I would say most of them were different. The first, the first one was with our HR team, and I think even the second. Um, and those are just kind of the the basic interview questions, making sure that you can form sentences, can speak to what your experience is. Um, have an interest in the job, etc. And then once the third, I'd say three through six, probably, most of those were with my immediate team members currently. So one was my my current boss. The other one was a team member that I, like I said, I currently work with um, that's on my direct team. And then the other two, five and six, were with um, other team members, whether they were, they're currently in different departments, but were 
um, with us at the time. And then the last few interviews were with, like I said, other VPs that represented other departments. So one was marketing, one was sponsorship, one was broadcasting, which I had no idea what broadcasting was other than everything's on TV. Um, and the other one, oh, the other one was my current boss. So I hit him two times. And that's the group that was able to, um, that I had to present to and they could ask questions. So it was them asking me questions based on their department and how my job would affect their roles and their teams and vice versa. And then the last one, like I said, was with our EVP and then the owner of our hospitality group. And I just remember that specific interview. Here I was new to New York, obviously living in LA. And I was supposed to meet him in a hotel lounge. And it was at one of the nicest hotels in New York City, right across from Central Park. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What do I even say? Am I dressed okay? Is my makeup good? Is my hair good? <laughs> like, I was freaking out. Um, but it ended up going really well. They made me feel really comfortable. Um, and like I said, luckily, that was a one-time thing and I passed. So I don't wish that that nervousness or anxiety on anyone going through the job process. Aurea, <laughs> <laughs> well, i got a question for um, our listeners and I, I just thought about this just then, but when you're in, when you are in an interview um, and you get asked a question that you don't probably just don't know or you haven't done before or you just don't really know what to do, what uh, what's some advice that you'd give a student in in that situation or anybody um, going for an interview? Yes, really good question as well. This is always a tough one. I would say it depends how again, what level of knowledge you have on the question. I I would say that it's, I I respect people that say, I don't know enough about that to give you a good answer, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to learn from you. And I know I can do it because of X, Y, Z. I think that's just as good as an answer because you recognize that, hey, I don't have this skill or I don't have this knowledge in this space. I'm I'm confident enough to admit that. And then here's why I can learn it and why I think I can still be good at the job. So I wouldn't necessarily make up an answer unless you're a really good salesperson. (laughs) Um, So I'm a big proponent of being true to what your talents are and what your knowledge is. So if if that's something that you're comfortable in saying, then I would go ahead and and make that move and have that conversation. Aubrey, just out of interest, how much did you have to invest in flights and accommodation to uh, land the job after 11 interviews? (laughs) The good thing is that the NFL paid for all my travel and hotel rooms. So that was a plus. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) Yes. It was not out of pocket. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. Yeah, no, that that wouldn't have been all right. <laughs> yeah, good flight miles though. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Aubrey, your journey is absolutely remarkable and an inspiration to many, I'm sure. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Yes, I would say it goes back to what I started saying in the beginning is that no matter where you come from, no matter what experience you have or don't have, as long as you are able to have a dream and have the work ethic and motivation and inspiration to go after what you want, it can be achieved. So get outside of your comfort zone, live in different places, meet new people, learn different languages, try new restaurants, just put yourself out there. And when you do that, good things are going to come to you. So don't be afraid to to aim high and good things will come your way. Love it. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Aubrey. It's been fantastic talking to you. Yes. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed this. 
So there you have it, Aubrey Walton. What what a fantastic half an hour that was, Ruse. I mean, the discussion was flowing, and I personally found that amazing. Speaking to the person who is so involved with picking where the Super Bowl is each year, because it is such a hotly sort of debated topic, uh, and you know, it's hugely a wait. Like, sort of, everyone's waiting to know where the next Super Bowl is. So it was actually awesome to to chat to Aubrey. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating as well. And Aubrey herself was, was lovely and delightful to, to chat to as well. So we talked to a lot of different roles, but hers is just so unique to anything that I think we've come across before. So super insightful. And it's definitely going to uh, cause me to watch the Super Bowl with an entirely different lens, knowing what goes on behind the scenes now. Yeah, absolutely. Eagerly awaiting what uh, what Tampa Bay looks like for the Super Bowl, the greatest show on earth. So um, let's get on to our actionable takeaways. Uh, you can start us off, my friend. Yeah, for sure. One, one of the best things I thought that Aubrey talked about is something that she's done for her entire career and something that she's constantly working on and, and very mindful to keep working on it, and that is her ability to be a leader and to develop those skills that, that lend themselves to being a leader. And so she started that all the way back in LA, and now that she's got you know this incredible role at the NFL, she's still finding ways to continue to to develop to be a leader. And I think due to the fact that she's been working on it for such a long time, it allows her to go into interviews as a really strong candidate because people can picture her being a future leader and that's exactly what she's ended up doing. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, some great advice, I guess, um, to point out. Um, you never, you're never too young to sort of show those leadership skills and, and to work on them, especially. You might not be that leader right now, but you can always work on uh, basically all, all your skills in that area. So um, that's a really good point. My takeaway was just around sort of starting to prepare um, your interview skills and, and answers, um, and also just sort of making sure you're improving your ability to vocalize what your strengths are and, and how do you sell yourself. So. Obviously, the interview stuff we talk about, it, it, it's it's always brought up and it's so important. But I think the second part of that is, you know, being able to vocalize what you're good at and and why why you're a suitable candidate, say, um, and just being able to sell yourself the right way, saying the right thing. So, it's a good thing to, to practice and it, one of those things that's good to bounce off a mate or a colleague um, as sort of like an elevator pitch, if you know what I mean. So... Yeah, that was one thing I, I pulled out of that. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people kind of trip themselves up at the point where they have to communicate their ability. Even though they know they can do it, they can't necessarily articulate it and that's where they fall short. And for Aubrey, that was extremely important for her, you know, dozen interviews across a number of months to be able to continue to articulate her strengths and sell herself. And um was actually an entire webinar topic that we – uh, talked about in our sports grad membership, all about articulating your strengths and showing your potential, um, because that's a huge part of of getting selected for the job. My final takeaway, Ryan, was Aubrey's come from a tiny, tiny town in the in the cornfields of Ohio and has made it to the top of the NFL or just about the top of the NFL. I, w- I would say choosing the Super Bowl is probably the top of the NFL, no matter what the other roles above it takes might the be. cake, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, it's just such a great story to inspire others to, you know, set goals and to follow your dream to get to a destination. And for her, she's kind of mapped it out along the way and, and never stopped believing that she could get there. And now she's really just just loving life. She gets to go to the Super Bowl every single year and gets to choose where it is. You know, she might even act in self-interest and be like, oh, I want to go to a, on a holiday to San Francisco the, this year. Let's just put the Super Bowl there too. Um, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> for her to come from where she's been, with a massive dream in mind is just so inspiring to see and I hope a lot of people can can follow that from her too. Absolutely. I think we, yeah, the cornfields uh, topic was spoken about quite a bit uh, on and off air. Uh, so it's great, <laughs> great to bring attention to the great land that is Ohio, my friend. Um, all right, well, we better get out of here, but what I'm going to get from you first is your pick for the Super Bowl, uh, Kansas City or Tampa Bay. I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs just to keep our man Aman Alawalia happy. <laughs> I think that's a good call. Uh, you know who I'm going for, Tampa Bay. 
Let's see what Tom Brady can do, hey? Uh, it should Let's be see. very interesting. So, um, yeah. It's a great day of the year, I must say, Super Bowl Monday. Mm. I reckon as well, there'd have to be, like, in terms of what the most popular sick day is of the year across mm. all workplaces, I reckon the Super Bowl <laughs> might be up there in terms of just that, that timing of when people might be a little bit sick in the morning. So, In, in Australia, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, good luck uh, to both mm. games. It's a great day. Everyone enjoy it. Well, I was just going to add, Ryan, every time we've done an interview with someone from a team that's about to go into a grand final, that team has won. If you cast your mind back to the AFL last year, we we lined up an interview with Kevin Wilson from the Richmond Footy Club, hoping yep. that they would win, yep. and they did win. We got a great interview out of Kev. Yep. We've then spoken to Aaron Wharton from the Sydney Sixers, Yep. Hoping that they would win going to the final and, and they did. We've now Aaron? done an interview we've now done an interview with Aman Alawalia from the Kansas City Chiefs, who are about to go into the Super Bowl. I'm prepared to take this as a trend if the Chiefs win. So that'll make it that'll make it three. So if that if that does happen, then I will say yes, we are we are the, we are the lucky weapon that these teams need to send someone to interview um and, and you'll win win the flag. So I wonder what sports next. We might have to look into that and uh, we'll pick the winner. Maybe a, the Australian Open. Maybe yeah. yeah. Roger Federer, if you want to come back from injury and, and win the tournament, let us yeah. know. We'll do an interview. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, shout out to Roger and his team. He'd be listening. So um, He'd be listening. a friend of the podcast. Podcast, yeah. So, all right. Well, we better get out of here. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. Um, and thank you for listening as well. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please share it with your friends or your classmates who also have to figure out all of this sports career stuff. As you can see, this podcast is practically a masterclass and it's free and you and your circles deserve to have it so please share it far and wide. Finally, when you're ready to make sense of tackling jobs in sport, go check out the Sports Grade Method. This is an ebook I wrote based on eight years of trying to get into the sports industry and teaching others how to do it too. All of that is condensed down into a proven process to getting jobs in sport. If you're like me and enjoy things broken out into logical steps, then I think you're going to enjoy it. To get a hold of that, download it from www.sportsgrad.com.au. Thanks again for listening. Chat to you soon.